from The Revelation of St. John the Divine, King James Version, Chapter 6. Come and see, and I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering, and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him, had a pair of balances in his hand. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? This is Gothic. The Gothic Podcast is a horror and humor actual play audio drama. As such, it contains material, including our jokes, that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hey there, Sojourners. Welcome back to the dark. Thanks for joining us here. It's time for Season 3 of The Gothic podcast. Oh yeah. And on tonight's episode, we have Sharon. Hello. And Jesse. Bonjour mon ami. <laughs> and Kirsten joining us tonight. Hi everybody. Only I'm not that perky anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and me, your ever generous host and perpetual fan of the hunters. C. Patrick. And I say fan of the Hunters because in tonight's episode, we're going to be back in the contemporary now for one episode what? here before we go back into the book worlds. But for the moment, we're going to be in Macon, Missouri in the year of our mask, 2020. 
And Thanks for saying year of our mask right after I took a sip of whiskey. And we have the first alcohol snort from Sharon of the season. Yay! So in the contemporary now, we will be playing by Monster of the Week rules. We all hope we remember what those are. Uh, we have had a couple of holiday specials. Please go check those out. Good old Corn Maze Massacre. That was uh, Ten Candles, an epically long game <laughs> that we played uh, for Halloween. And then in Rebellion against six-hour Ten Candles games, we played Dead of Night Rules for our Krampus Knocked <laughs> special, Cruise Ship to Terror. So go check those out. Um, those are live recordings with video, so you can find them on YouTube. Just search for The Gothic Podcast, or you can listen to the uh, slightly more edited versions of the audio only on the podcast, wherever you get your podcast cast. Wow. It's been a little while since I've done this, apparently. <laughs> so we find ourselves in the house, that manor built by Contemporary Now's Lazarus Kane in Macon, Missouri, as ostensibly a haunted house destination tourist trap. However, our hunters, our investigators, having searched for their missing friend, Haven Harrow, eventually discovered that the house was meant for something darker. Exactly what that is, it seems that Lazarus Kane wants to translate himself into all of the versions of him in the various book worlds, where he can gain immense power, as well as, as a side note, immortality. Fighting their way through the book worlds, Without their contemporary now memories, our heroes, our hunters, Dr. Grace Moreau, L.J. Bradley, hey. and Haven Harrow, among others, including the Texas movie theater owner Nathan Red Winters, attempt to find the people that Lazarus Kane has abducted into the book worlds in the hopes that when they die there, the ceremony that he is trying to achieve will be completed and he will gain all that he wants. In our last book world, though, our heroes, without their memories, did not quite manage to save Celia Chadwell, who there was Candace Kane. So we're going to find out how that played out. but. Yeah. We're going to do something interesting this evening in that when last we left our characters, Haven Harrow had just informed them that the year was 2020, some two years after when they actually entered the book worlds the last time, and that there was a plague in the land and that everybody would need masks, and that this was actually caused by the fact that the Scientists of the Nix Collective had released a Horseman of the Apocalypse. So now we return to the house, but it's later. It's 2021, and our hunters have returned in order to go back into the book worlds to try to save the remaining missing. As our hunters enter the library, 
There are others behind them. We don't get a good look at them, necessarily. We don't know who has survived this past year, who has not, who will go on with us into the book worlds, who will not. But we see these three leading the way. Dr. Grace, LJ, and Haven. What do we see? What do they look like now after their time fighting a horseman of the apocalypse? Dr. Grace, lead us off. Uh, probably just incredibly tired. Uh, I imagine Grace has been just working pretty much nonstop uh, to, uh, to try and come up with, you know, protective mechanisms and, and uh, things that will uh, assist those with maybe a little more mobility. So yeah, just really, really tired. And uh, I imagine I'm in my chair rather than on my prosthetic uh, feet, you know, being wheeled into the library. Why being wheeled? Why not wheeling yourself like usual? I could I could wheel myself, but LJ's there. <laughs> and you're very tired. <laughs> and I'm very tired. Oh wow. <laughs> I don't know. I mean I could I could be wheeling myself. What are you wearing, Dr. Grace? What are, what are you wearing? I mean, I don't know what kind of apocalyptic situations have we been facing. I don't know yet. We don't know yet. So tell us what you're wearing. Maybe that will give us some clues as to what we've been dealing with. I'm imagining lots of layers, uh, a a heavy wool jacket, and uh, both for warmth and for protection from whatever might be out there, and um, gloves. I think I've taken up wearing just like either thin leather or uh, those ones that uh, touchscreens can read. So we find ourselves then in the winter of 2021, perhaps February or March. LJ, what do we see when we find LJ pushing? Dr. Grace into the library of the house through the thick dust caked onto the floor. Well, LJ seems pretty similar in like the way he presents himself and the way he talks to everybody, but you can see there's a harried look in his eyes. There's there's like that um thousand yard stare kind of thing going on he's got bags he's cut his hair a lot shorter now it's like up off of his ears and all of that um and he's off his ears that's a big deal <laughs> that is man how'd um, you find a barber in 2020 oh i i can i can handle that <laughs> just use a prosthetic leg he's also adopted <laughs> a lot darker look in his clothing his his leathers and his jeans are a lot more sturdy. Um, his jacket um, is like all black, lots of buckles, um, lots of lots of extra pockets, just always trying to be prepared for, you know, what comes next. Um, he's he got kind of like this goth slash steampunk thing going on with the way he looks nowadays and you know but he's still got that smile that everybody just is like that's why we love lj man and then there is haven harrow i mean we saw haven harrow as uh she welcomed uh lj and dr grace and nathan winters back into the library but what does she look like now uh, so I've lost that sort of bubbly, perky, um, you know, curiosity, open-mindedness, curious, um, completely. I'm now very um, almost squinty with believing in Murphy's Law, waiting for that other shoe to drop, just kind of um, just 
not just ready for every everyone's nonsense and not having it. <laughs> um, so I've got I've got a a long duster may or may not be enchanted. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, kind of like a black uh, canvas, like Carhartt material. Um, lots of pockets, and then um, that's really the only flare item that she has. Otherwise, it's very utilitarian, kind of cargo pants and a dark olive green and um you know crew shirt kind of thing lots of pockets on the pants pockets in the duster got any number ready for any number of situations but looking very utilitarian and um ready for action you move into the room you look around flashlights dart here and there uh, some of the others behind you shine their lights on the massive bookshelves that line two walls of the room um, going across the books, all covered in dust. The house has not been uh, maintained or reoccupied yet. The ownership of it is still in question to an extent, but also during uh, the this last year, these troubled times, uh, no one has taken on the effort to clean it up and do anything with it. But things still walk the halls or float there. Things still, LJ, watch from the shadows. And so coming to the house has not been the safest proposition for you. You haven't done it a lot. So before we find out what circumstances have led to you being able to now return to go searching for the next missing one, Arthur Love, father of Navy Lieutenant Hotspur Love, in fact. Let's go back a bit. Let's jump back in time. I want to go back to that moment when you first arrived here, back from the book called The Horrors of Elk Island, still steaming, still smoking from the magic required to return. What were your first thoughts on coming back? Well, I went back into the book world thinking about how best to protect and shield these goo entities from the psychic manipulation of Lazarus Kane. And uh, I've just woken up with my head full of diagrams of a lighthouse uh, which protect, which provided a shielding energy. Now I don't have access to God power, um, but I think my mind immediately is racing with uh, plans and uh, schema to construct something that would uh, act similarly to uh, to break his influence of these of these uh, creatures. Interesting, LJ. Oh man, was I really that big of a dick? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. Yes, LJ, you were. <laughs> Here is the thing. Although when you are in the book worlds, you don't have memory of your contemporary now making Missouri selves. When you come back, you do have every memory, every experience that you had as, in this case, Gigi and Jason. Actually, you know what? The very... The very first thing I want to do, as soon as I realize how far away LJ is from me, is grab him and pull him into a hug. Oh, yeah. I've got all the hugs for Gracie. Just, and, like, really, really tight. And Haven. You know. And yeah. Nathan. And so, yes, 
there are those others in the room. There is Haven. There is Nathan. Uh, Dr. Grace, uh, Haven has your prosthetics. And careful with that one. <laughs> and another one of the folding wheelchairs. Oh, thank but there's also another form in the circle. A woman um, in her mid-twenties, dressed in, well, a silk blouse and a rather stylish uh, skirt with high boots, who fits all the pictures that you have seen of Celia Chadwell. I'll scooch over there and, you know, are you all right? Let us have our first roll of season three. Ooh. Let's go You got go the first with... roll again. Oh. <laughs> Let's go with investigate a mystery. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. Investigate a mystery. I totally know what that is. It's shark. I'm good at that. Uh, nine. Nine total. Nine total. Well, for Investigate a Mystery, this is not one where you get to choose from all the bad choices that I give you. <laughs> um, nine is a hold one uh, on hold the one. list. Okay. So, as a reminder to our listeners, uh, Investigate a Mystery allows you to ask, what happened here? What sort of creature is it? What can it do? What can hurt it? Where can it go? I'm sorry, where did it go? What was it going to do? What is being concealed here? And, of course, um, in this circumstance, uh, that may affect the question that you wish to ask. So I'm debating between what happened here and what is being concealed. Um, and I'm leaning toward what happened here. All right. So I'm going to do that. Okay. So you examine the form of Celia Chadwell. She appears initially uh, to be dead. Oh, dear. Um, she is still smoking like you are, though. And uh, her, her skin is still warm. There is a possibility... You could save her. I will. I will do so. But that is going to require act under pressure. Act under pressure. That's, uh, what is that? Oh, that's cool. Okay. All right. Uh, I know how to play this game. Um, it's, it's another nine. Ah, well, with act under pressure, I do get to give you options. You get to do the thing. Yes. This so. is my favorite part of Monster of the Week right here. You angel wing into town. You angel wing to the comic. <laughs> All right. Upon examining her, you believe that you can indeed um, stabilize her. Uh, you don't believe that you will be able to. She doesn't seem like you're going to be able to bring her fully here. There's something wrong. You lift her eyelids up, and what you see is. It is a black void behind her eyes, and you don't think there's much you can do about that. But you can, you think, stabilize her enough to, enough to the living where maybe she'll be in a coma, something like that. But it's going to cost you. It will either require that you use a luck point or that you cannibalize the electronics from your prosthetics, because this has to be done fast. How dare you? And you'll need to cannibalize those in order to create the electronics that you need to stabilize her, one for the heart, one for the brain, uh, one for the circulatory system, or you will be able to stabilize her, but you are going to have to use magic from Lazarus Kane's books. And Ooh. this will turn one of your luck points black in a dead-of-night way. 
wait, that can happen? <laughs> I love it. But at the same time, Dude. go for the Iron Man power core. Go for the Iron Man power core. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. I was like, I've already, I've already said I'm, I'm in my, I'm in the, uh, the wheelchair. So maybe you just never got your prosthetics back because you just used yeah, them. Because I just used them. But like the mechanic of having one of my luck turn points turn black is so cool. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but but no, I think just in terms of like a. Uh, who Dr. Grace is and, you know, the kinds of things that I think she would think of using, I think narratively the legs make the most sense. Uh, So I'm going to sacrifice my feet. I will also tell you that in this um, new monster of the week world where luck points can turn dark, that that darkness aspect of them, whatever it is, will apply the next time you have to use the luck point. Interesting. <laughs> so this isn't going to be the only time that this option will occur where you can choose for a luck point to turn dark. Like a time release capsule. Right. <laughs> the next time you use a luck point, that one has a reaction as well. Dr. Grace, paint me a word picture. Well, I have to work quickly. And Haven's standing there and she's got my legs ready for me. And I'm just like, Haven, give me those. I need I need something ideally my medical equipment from the van but but those will do for now uh and uh grab them and say uh go and get the first aid kit anyway it, I might need it later um but for now you know I just start uh hmm unscrewing <laughs> parts of <laughs> what is parts the power of the, source uh, of the prosthetics I don't I hadn't really thought about that you know it's probably something crazy like uh like a s- solar powered citrine gem or <laughs> or something but um no you know what i actually honestly i actually uh pictured the the claw as more of like a um like a really fancy you know those things that you squeeze the trigger and the little t-rex head closes its mouth and you can pick stuff up but just there's a system of like levers and stuff and pulleys on the inside that gives it a stronger uh, bite strength than you'd be able to get just by using one of those things. Um, so I pictured it as a, like a manual thing rather than as a powered. All right. Well, you're going to need a power source. What are you going to use? Oh, um, golly. Well, what can I do to help out, Gracie? Um, hmm, I need a power source. Do you have a phone or a flashlight or anything else that has a battery? Yes. I need it. Okay. Quickly. I pull out my flip phone. <laughs> I wordlessly pull out my smartphone from my cargo pant pocket and hand it to Dr. Gray. Awesome. So using that, you create a some sort of strange, almost metaphysical, stabilizing carapace. Okay. Yeah. That's where we're going to leave that scene. Let's, in our flashback, let's flash forward a bit. You have been told by Haven that a a horseman of the apocalypse has been unleashed upon the land, that disease is rampant, people are not going out, the streets are silent and empty, the sky is strangely blue, and you have your first, but not last, encounter with the horseman of the apocalypse. Haven, what 
does that horseman look like? I'm imagining pestilence from good omens, but I don't want to crib off of other people's good <laughs> ideas. So, um, misty and immaterial, but somehow very present. He is, uh, it is very much in the world. It's not, it's not like a shaky video image or, you know, a ghostly. It's just very, you, you really get the, uh, the feeling that it is right there next to you. I'm picturing a, de- a Dementor. Is that is that what you're picturing? Um, no, not well, not in the cinematic way. Anyway, like it's not like thready and and flowing robes. It's just it's just it's like it's made out of mist, but but very corporeal. So as if mist. Or if suddenly I'm imagining goo here, but misty. Um, you know, in the <laughs> in the container, but made out of mist. It sloshes. It doesn't. It doesn't slosh. It wisps. <laughs> it wisps. It swishes. Um, yeah. Does it ride a horse? Um. Yeah, I'd like it to ride a horse. It's very tall. Very tall horse. Large, destrier sort of horse, and the misty figure atop it. They're all. They're all like mist-like, in sort of a in that contained amorphous way. But a horse that is somehow wrong, too. Both rider and horse made out of nearly solid mist. Very much there, but also mutable, changeable, so that as they notice you, there comes a shifting of features, a not darkness, but a shadowing of the soul, almost, and then a horrific change in the figure so that you see inside of it in its mist in the the wisping of it all of the terrible things that it brings into the world uh lj where do you all encounter this for the first time there was that church up north off of gant street where i remember stopping and where i actually happened to crawl out of a grave Nice. In that same graveyard is where we encountered this horseman. So this is the first time that you encountered the horseman after your return from the book worlds. And you are here. It is in the night, in the dark, (laughs) at this church, the same one where LJ clawed his way up out of a grave after having been in the 1950s. What, um, what led you here, Dr. Grace? Was it you, some of your electronics? Was it Haven's magic? What, uh, what got you here? I think it was a mixture of both, because this is inherently a mythological figure, and so I think magic would be necessarily involved, but maybe I could rig some sort of, some sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Mechanism? I'm looking for an adjective that means like supernatural. Some sort of supernatural radar that would send a ping to a, a screen. Uh, or maybe maybe it sounds, maybe it goes blip, 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 and it gets faster as we approach and we're trying to uh, track this thing. Any supernatural creatures or just this one in particular? Well, I think that's, a, that's something that we have to, we're, uh, we're working on and we're not sure if it's... Uh, we're not sure if it's good yet because we have led ourselves to a couple of, you know, minor haunts and stuff like that. And so I'm constantly like refining and refining and programming different parameters and having Haven cast different spells on it 
and refining it again. And uh, this is the first time that it's actually worked. You have found yourself, LJ, leading on good old Luna. Ah, I'm so glad to be back on Luna. In storage (laughs) uh, by the Seekers, Haven, and Dr. Grace, in this case. None of the others have come with you. This is just one more search you have done out into Macon, hoping to hunt down the horsemen. And so you've had several failures in the past. You have found strange things. Uh, You have defeated a banshee. You have encountered a mourning spirit that you were able to lay to rest. But this is the first time that finally you think you have the, the calibrations correct. It has led you, oddly, to this church. That LJ and you all have those <laughs> those you know memories, those shared experiences at, and here we are. And out of that same grave bursts this figure, this horsed figure. Dirt goes flying everywhere, far more than what would be in a regular grave, because here is a horse and rider, dirt and clods of grass, and the tombstone itself goes flying. Then, standing there, mounted on this horse, which isn't actually even touching the ground, is Pestilence, Horseman of the Apocalypse. Roll initiative. Oh, wait, wrong game. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Oh, shit, I need a different dice. Oh, God. (laughs) It raises its hands, and the trees that are nearby, the sides that are facing the horsemen, the leaves curl up what are left. The limbs, they darken, crack from pestilence, and fall to the ground. What do you do are we just barely rolling up on this yeah you have just dismounted luna just gotten out of the van so we sought this out we 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 had the beep 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 thing and 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 we sought it out so we're sort of expecting to find something can we take like a hot second and like (laughs) have have planned in the past for what we would do when this eventually happened this is a a flash forward inside of a flashback so yes i see that (laughs) as being a a uh, certainly a thing you can have done i mean you are searching for the horseman so what i guess you need to do is someone uh you can decide who needs to give me an investigative mystery because I suspect you want to know what will hurt it. Oh, okay. And that's where LJ was going to be going is like, Gracie, Haven, what can hurt this? Unless somebody else wants to roll, I will investigate a mystery. Uh, Ten. Ten total. Well, that is whole two. You get two questions about pestilence, horsemen of the apocalypse. Hooray. What can hurt it first? And then I'll, I'll see if that leads me into my next question. By hurt it, I'm going to interpret that rather broadly. Mm-hmm. So there is what will cause it actual, you know, what you can fight it with. Yeah, what can affect and, it. And give it, you know, cause it pain. Yeah. Well, that would be good old cold iron. Oh. Blessed by a priest. Okay. Of any religion. All right. Flying spaghetti monster, here, here we come. <laughs> yeah. But I also will give you that... To return it from whence it came, 
you need the same equipment that the Nix Collective used, which is, alas, a bulky, room-sized mass of electronics, computers, magic, and artifacts located in the Bevier Mine, where we saw some of our characters being held hostage, including Haven and Nathan Winters, back in Season 2, where the Nyx Collective have their secret lair. So, in other words, you can hurt it with cold iron that has been blessed, but you have to lure it back somehow, or get it back somehow, to the Bevier Mine. Oh, that's that's rough. It's going to be hard. Um, I think for my other question, I'm going to I'm going to ask, uh, what can it do? I mean, besides presumably cause a plague. <laughs> well, yes. So in general, it causes a plague. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that coming. In specific, those nearby it are going to be far more in danger than those further away from it. If it touches you, then bad, bad things will happen. Oh. These things you can probably imagine, but I can detail them if you need you will gain pretty much all of the diseases. <laughs> Every single disease. Yep. This could be when we all bulk up on our, uh, like, uh, LJ's bulkier riding leathers and, and uh, you know, Haven's coat and stuff. As far as you can tell, armor is of no... Oh, great. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Some research online has indicated that perhaps heavy dosages of vitamin D or ivermectin might allow for some protection. And it will get you through the winter months. <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're just chugging emergency like it's no tomorrow. <laughs> now we flash back into this encounter at the churchyard. What cold iron weapons blessed by a priest do you have? We've we've prepared and we've fought other things. I imagine I would have uh, found a way to get my axe head washed off in the holy waters yeah and and maybe had a little magic spell cast over it by haven did haven during this time get ordained into any priesthood yeah no <laughs> i did don't see that having happened if it wasn't haven where did you get your weapons blessed down further going west on the 36 there was another um church out there and we did a little research after finding out that these horsemen in a way have been released or are trying to be released and we went to talk with Father Murphy at that uh, specific church, and they had actually quite an extensive kind of pseudo-library of mythic and um, pseudo-cultish kind of tomes that weren't really sanctioned, but were still studied by the church. He was actually very helpful in um, leading us in this direction to this what he considered an unholy ground in a holy place where pestilence would be would rise um and he helped us out and gave us each a little charm or a little help out in some way and i had him bless my axe head dr grace what did you have father murphy murphy bless i was thinking about something with a little range to it like a rod or something that we could, you know... Ten-foot pole that you can just poke him with? <laughs> I, I wouldn't touch 
pestilence with a 39 and a half foot pole. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I was just thinking of like swords or whatever are necessarily going to be any more effective than just like an iron like ingot or whatever. And to that extent, I think I probably have affixed a couple of iron ingots to my uh, to my chair <laughs> just to provide a little personal bubble <laughs> of protection. <laughs> but yeah, I was just thinking about a rod okay, or like a baton or something. What do you have, Haven? Um, I have some shuriken in a cargo pants pocket. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I totally have those. Welcome to Season 3's Contemporary Now episodes, anime version. <laughs> it's a really big sword. It's like seven feet long and two feet wide. <laughs> and it's also a gun. <laughs> And I've also got my ritual knife that comes with my character. So I'm going to assume that that is also worthy of being blessed. It required an old priest and a young priest. (laughs) LJ, you have your axe blessed by Father Murphy in his esoteric books. Haven, you have your shuriken ready to go. Dr. Grace, you have your 39 and a half foot rod. Presumably collapsible. (laughs) You weren't exactly expecting to find the horseman here tonight. I mean, you haven't until this point, but here he is. So, what do you do? Uh, I've got this third eye power, and when I read a bad situation, I can open up my third eye to take in extra information. So, I think I might want to go ahead and do that. Go ahead and roll Investigate a Mystery, and you are opening your third eye, which is also opening you to danger. Seven. You have a hold one on your read a bad situation, and you'll get extra information because of your third eye. Um, But my basic question would be, what's my best way out? Like, what's the best way to get rid of this? Mm Hmm. So what's most vulnerable to you? Maybe that would be a better way to go. Okay, there's a problem. You think you can dissipate it from this particular moment, this particular place, with your weapons. You think that you can fight it, and if you prevail, and it doesn't make you a quite literally quivering mass of jelly diseases, that you can cause it to unform. For the moment. But that sounds like a temporary measure, and we want to... That is absolutely a temporary measure. Right. You must get it back to the Bevier Mines in order to return it to its quite literal box, because there is a box. Great. (laughs) Presumably, you would have perhaps discussed this at some point. Right. So I'm going to go back to my original question of what's the best way out, which is like, how do we get it to follow us kind of thing? Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking, too, is to provoke it and then and then basically run and get it to chase us. You want me to provoke it? OK, what could go wrong? <laughs> and I'm just going to charge in and start swinging my axe. That is actually apparently your plan is <laughs> that you're going to try to hurt it enough to not dissipate it, but rather to... Piss it off. Piss it off and make it chase us. I'm going to quote the meme of 2020 and say, this is fine. 
<laughs> well, but like, nice. so is, I mean, you know, are we just like going to run Scooby style on foot here and, and it chases us? Is it like, does it have a speed? That it no, I'm going to attack it and, and piss it off and make it chase us. Right. Elja's but- on Luna. I'm assuming we're in the van. You're not in the van right this second. You have gotten out, but those those vehicles are there. If I can get it to attack and chase me, you guys just either get ahead of me and prepare or follow. I was thinking follow it and like, you know, like a sheepdog, like nip its heels every time it tries to go someplace else. So it's following you and being chased by us. But first of all, I'm going to use my move and just charge into immediate danger and just start swinging my axe. I will let you do so here in a moment, but I'm not actually finished with Haven yet. Oh, damn it. Oh, oh dear. Because Haven opened her third eye to this. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, no. <laughs> Haven, uh, what you see here now, having opened your senses up to this thing, not just uh, back when you were doing the research on this, which you did because you needed to see into the other planes of existence in order to fully comprehend what it was going to take to manage this thing, this primal force. This isn't any old ghost or any old tentacle monster. Uh, This is a horseman of the apocalypse. And so what you see now, though, having made those connections before, your eye opening now, is not that misty form, but rather the almost fully corporeal form. Its skin layered in almost uh, strips of flesh as bone and muscle are revealed below, but all crawling with the creatures of pestilence, with rats, with cockroaches, with bitey beetles and lurking worms. But Haven, you're prepared for this from having seen images in old books, having uh, extrapolated the ideas. It is not something that overwhelms your senses now, although it certainly could have been. I gag a little bit, but keep my cool. LJ rushes forward into the danger using that move from his playbook. What does that give you? Uh, What could go wrong whenever I charge into immediate danger without hedging my bets? Hold two. I might spend my hold to either inflict plus one harm, reduce someone's harm suffered by one, or take plus two forward on uh, act under pressure roll. Oh, hell yeah. You're attacking, so... Attack away. Uh, I will. Kick um, some ass. I get to kick some ass. <laughs> I love it. So I rolled a nine plus one on my tough. That's ten. Ooh, I get to nice. choose an extra effect. I, I think I want to go with uh, I force them where I want them. I want them to follow me and just make that focus on me. And for I'll do a plus one harm on that as well for one of my two from the what could go wrong. What's your total harm then done? Uh, with the fire axe, three harm, hand messy. So four total. Four total. Wow. And then for my other hold for what co- could go wrong, I'll take the plus two forward on the act under pressure rolls and like just kind of coax them as I head back towards Luna. You swing your axe. Uh, I mean, describe this for me. What do we what do we see here? So I just kind of scream out, "Don't worry, I got this." 
and I just charge right up and like this big like think of like the the pendulum rides at like the fair and stuff like that just you watch this axe like totally just swing from top all the way down below my knee and then back up right into this thing i i imagine it's like head just like shifting in this misty form looking right at me and i'm like (laughs) yeah that's right i did that and just start backing up um towards luna axe at the ready in case it lunches at me before i can get to my bike of course with monster of the week we exchange harm in this case although the writer has his sword of plagues it is the horse that rears back and essentially kicks you in the face and flings you about 15 feet backwards and deals two harm Although you land on your back, you are able to scramble to your feet and run back toward Luna as the others are already piling into Dr. Grace's van. Sloshy was in the here and now, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm like, is he the getaway driver now? <laughs> oh my God, can you please? Can you... <laughs> that would be amazing. As the others are piling into... Dr. Grace's van, the driver looks over the spitting image of <laughs> Jacob Candle and says, Ah, oh, we gotta get we gotta put the metal to the lead and, and our feet to the wood and we gotta yep. run. Yeah, we gotta that's, go now. Yeah. That's and he, exactly like, the you know, expression. <laughs> jams the the uh, van into into drive. And uh, goes in reverse like 15 feet and then <laughs> gets it into the right gear. Get the clutch. Get the clutch. <laughs> he says. It, it's yeehaw. Sloshy, quit mixing your metaphors and get us out of here. I love Sloshy. Sloshy's the best. <laughs> Sloshy rides. <laughs> okay. What was, what was Sloshy's name? I believe it was Jake Sloshy. Jake Sloshy. Please, Mr. Sloshy is my father. (laughs) In this moment of dire peril, as we spin away from our intrepid heroes leading the very avatar of pestilence on a merry little chase through the night, let's find out what happened with some of the others. And more importantly, what it is that Haven has discovered about the book worlds and about Lazarus Kane's plans. So, where have you guys been? Where's your base of operations? I actually had an idea about uh, repurposing the house to our needs. Oh, I was hoping you would go with the theater. Oh, the th- well, the theater would be cool too. Yeah, the house has protection still. <sighs> I wanted to turn them to our <laughs> to our side. Sure. I was just thinking about the, the lighthouse and how the house has that chimney and we could make that into a... Well, that said... An allegory. The main area of the house, the main building, is indeed difficult to access um, okay. because of its protections. However, that chimney that you're talking about is actually part of the powerhouse, which is yeah. separated from the main house by a parking lot. 
although connected by underground tunnels. Well, yeah, the, the two don't have to be the same thing. I could have still used the chimney for my, for my earlier idea, but then we could have made the theater our, our base of operations, since we wouldn't have to be actively dealing with whatever's going on at the house. What I'm going to call your lighthouse building in the uh, smokestack of the powerhouse of the house this is going to be big magic. Mm, I mean, okay. it's going to be weird science for you, but it's going yeah, to essentially yeah, yeah. be big magic. And so let's find out while we're here. Let us go ahead and uh, see how long that project's going to take, what it's going to require, because perhaps it required you all to do a few other things other than just hunt horsemen of the apocalypse. I'm looking up uh, big magic. A big magic just allows you to do something that beyond what use magic can do. So. Well, okay, so my original idea for the chimney was essentially the same as the lighthouse, to build or modify something inside of it, which would allow it to act with a similar measure of psychic protection upon the entire town and prevent any further uh, attempts to uh, psychically manipulate specifically the goo people, but also I assume there would be a you know, an effect effect upon the entire town. But uh, yeah, basically I want to use it to cast a, a protective net over the uh, over the town. That is going to be, as far as uh, my requirements for the big magic, you're going to need to spend a lot of time doing it. Okay. That's what maybe one of the things that has uh, taken up a lot of this time, why you all haven't returned into the book worlds yet. Uh, you need rare and weird uh, ingredients and supplies, of course. Interestingly enough, you need a haunted lamp from a lighthouse. Oh, interesting. eBay, here we come. <laughs> eBay! Which you were able to acquire on eBay, but it took a while for it to ship. Okay. And, uh, of course, uh, has to be cast at a particular place and time. You need mm -hmm. the height, mm -hmm. and you need to be close to the source of the intervening magic so the house is a good place okay but you are going to have to do, uh, to do use magic in your case weird science okay uh, and uh, the effect you're going with here is essentially uh, banish a spirit or curse from a person object or place it inhabits. yeah curse i guess would be closest to what i'm looking for but you're trying to create a protection to keep a return of the curse from happening yeah 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 in this particular flashback you are at the powerhouse. So what are the circumstances in Macon during all of this? I mean, when when we first came back, uh, we saw Haven in almost full apocalyptic gear. So what is it like on the streets of Macon during these dark times? Haven? Um, people have... Uh, um teepeed all the trees in a in a in an absolute rejection of the, the need for the trappings of civilization and thus we know where all the tp went right. during those early days it was all the macon macon it's a place with tp capital of the world well, let's get a few, let's get a couple of images. So, uh, what is, uh, we've got one image there from from Haven. All the trees teepeed, those streamers waving in the winds in the dusk as the halogen lights glow feebly along the streets. And what's another image from Macon in the apocalypse? Oh man, 
it's so creepily quiet. Like, there is hardly anybody around, and if you do see someone, they try to stay away from you as far as possible, and they're just kind of giving you a creepy, like, sidelong glance, worried about what you may be or what you may do. Businesses are closed down. It's quiet. There's hardly any traffic, even. Um, and those that do, as they drive by, they give you that uh, number five stranger in the car passing looking yeah, at each other. Number five, like the uh, thing. Yeah, 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 driving by kind of look like. I don't think I know this reference. From the Umbrella Academy. Taking that slow look as they yeah, pass yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other images from the apocalypse in Macon? Uh, I was going to say people are hoarding gas. Like, the gas stations all have, like, empty signs on them. Someone's been going around town siphoning gas out of people's tanks. And so people are uh, taking, like, weird safety measures to try and prevent their gas being stolen out of their tanks. And so, like, at any point when we've left our vehicles unaccompanied, there's like a risk that they might be out of gas the next time we turn them on. The mass abduction of catalytic converters still some months in the future. Yeah, that's a thing that's been happening in real life. <laughs> I know, this contemporary now is cutting a bit close to home, but... You're the one who said it. <laughs> who said it here. <laughs> and so this is something that you've been working on, and as our camera as our shot uh, spins away from our hunters being chased by the horsemen of the apocalypse. It's misty hooves digging into the asphalt of 36, churning it up into desiccated hunks. We go back and we see the seekers gathered around helping at the powerhouse some keeping watch to make sure that there's no security team anymore. The Nix Collective doesn't anymore have the power that it did. Perhaps we won't find out quite why that is quite yet. But in any case, you only have to worry about the actual patrols from the city police department or the county sheriff's department. And you have finally gotten the lamp from uh, eBay, this haunted lamp, uh, supposedly haunted by the spirit of a lighthouse keeper who was washed away during a terrible storm on the Oregon coast. And it's been sent from Oregon. <laughs> and uh, it's taking um, several, including uh, Chad Chadwell and uh, Chris Luther's uh, boyfriend, uh, Sean Fields, to uh, lug this thing up a scaffolding that has been built up the side of the smoke, uh, smoke tower. And at last, it is in place atop the tower in a cradle of Dr. Grace's design, wires coming out of it, connected to all sorts of weird, both material and esoteric materials. Mm-hmm. Well, give us a use magic roll, I guess, there, Dr. Grace. Oh, Let's uh, find out how all of this went, because it, since it is a flashback in a flashback, it may have some bearing on what's happening with the horsemen. Uh, it is a seven, use magic. A seven. And I don't remember what. Well, seven has glitches. Oh, okay. And I may also make some 
statements about it myself, but I've already said many of them. So what would you, we already know what the effect is, but what would you like the glitch to be? I think, uh, I was going to say immediate unwelcome attention, but I think that makes sense logically with the house right there. Upon operation, we'll say, like when it starts working, you plugged everything in, but it seems like maybe you're missing something. Uh, you're not quite sure what it is, but you're pretty sure that, that you can figure it out. There was a great whirring. The, the light spun once, but didn't actually come on. So. Things continued, the hunt continued for the horseman. And as it turns out, you found the horseman before you found the solution to the problem of your protective tower light. The Macon Beacon. The Macon Beacon. (laughs) But when the horseman leaps from the grave and begins to pursue you all, a light bursts forth. From the south, shining across the city, sweeping across the city, a strange lighthouse in the middle of the country, in the middle of Missouri, where no need for any lighthouse exists. And this great light sweeps around, and behind you, the horseman stops, and he and his horse's head turn toward that light, and they begin moving south. Oh dear. Well, we were kind of going south anyway, right? Where was the... Were we? The mine... Where was the mine? Is west. The mine is west? Um, quick, Jake, cut it off. We've got to got to uh, turn it back to the direction that we need to go in. I'm on it. I'm on it. And whips the wheel around, heads that direction, bouncing into onto a, a gravel road, and then onto a paved road. LJ... You see the van take off um, after the horseman who is now headed toward the great glowing light of Dr. Grace's beacon in the sky. Uh, okay. So we were heading west. The next possible road, LJ is totally going to like, um, you have one of those like skid out moments where you see like the little gravel flying from the back tire of luna um as as there's like this big long like drifting kind of skid and he pulls south on a parallel street trying to match and keep ahead and maybe try to cut uh this this evil off while you're doing this let's have an intimate moment shall we oh patrick Let's have a conversation between LJ and Haven at some point during the time that has elapsed since you all came back from the book world. A a moment uh, found where? Um, Let's say while we were setting up base at uh, the theater. Okay. So, yeah, you have engaged the theater and are putting it together according to Dr. Grace's specification. And uh, LJ and Haven, you find yourselves there by yourselves in the main theater, sloping down slightly, uh, part of it refinished with new seats, part of it still folding chairs. Have a moment. What do you remember from the book world? Do you remember everything? I remember so much, Haven. And gotta say, I've missed you. But 
this world that we keep these worlds that we keep going into this is quite a trip for any one person to really be able to handle and i'm glad that i have close really really close friends to have my back and i hope i hope you understand that i'm always there for you haven i always have been lj i want to be there for you but i I got a level with you. I, I got to keep sending you onto these and I, it's a horrible burden and I don't, uh, I don't have much help I can offer. Once we get through this, it's going to be back in again. You always seem to be there though, whether in a small amount or like an actual part of the story, you've always been a part of my life and I can't help but just want to protect you and Gracie and anybody else we have to. Because you guys both have shown me that there's so much more going on. I, I want to do everything I can to help you out. I fear you won't be able to forgive me by the time this is over. You destroyed my favorite lunchbox when we were eight years old. <laughs> and you know what? It's just a thing. There's no need to forgive you for anything, Haven. I feel your heart is good, and I'm here to support you. It is memory of this conversation, LJ, that Shit. runs suddenly. It is memory of this conversation, LJ, that runs through your head as the horseman suddenly wheels around, stops, the van crashes into him, and flips, <gasps> taking to the high air, 15, 20 feet up, over the head of the horseman, flipping in midair. And then smashing down behind him, the horseman wheeling back again, the hooves of the thing leaping onto the upturned underbelly of the van, smashing it in, and then leaping on and racing toward the light of the lighthouse. <gasps> okay. Um, because of some of the words that Haven was just asking, what do you remember of the book worlds, uh, lingers in LJ's head. And he pulls on both the the blind rage that Jason had, and also that divine fury that Lori had, and just revs Luna. You 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 see Luna take off, but he leans into it enough where that front tire only leaves the ground, but a bare couple inches for a moment, and he is just spinning and heading right back towards them, screaming, "No!" And in that moment, you realize that you have, I don't know if you realize it, but you have a shot here. You channel those things, LJ, and you realize you don't need all those mechanisms. You don't need all of the things that the Nyx Collective made. You don't need, you don't need anything except for the light and Lori, spend a luck point and bring Lori <laughs> into play. Hell yeah. Um, done. For the audience is listening along at home. Jesse's just made the most, the face of the most pure delight <laughs> that I've ever seen. Okay. Uh, I will spend that luck point and now I'm going to have to search for Lori's playbook. <laughs> I know, right? Oh. As you scream, LJ, and as you rev 
Luna to head at the horseman at the fallen van, you you change. Luna becomes encased in blue flames, all sweeping back from the gas tank, from the engine, from the uh, handlebars, as LJ's body is overlaid with a silvery blue essence winged uh, the wings swept back in line with the flames leaping back from Luna's frame. And some aspect of the fictional creature that is Lori somehow manifests in the contemporary now, in the real world. You can defeat this thing, Lori. How do you plan to do it? For the listeners at home, Sharon is doing jazz hands. <laughs> With my jazz hands. That's how I... No. No. That is not how I defeat pestilence. Psych. <laughs> this is the musical episode. <laughs> I will sing. In in a really... Oh, I hate to say it, but a Ghost Rider type thing with those... With that blue essence emanating um, from myself and Luna... Behind that rev of the engine of of that Harley, that um, you hear that, and we smell cardboard and lace <laughs> and cardamom <laughs> and cinnamon and and all the other stuff. All of the other fifteen things that like. were that that were smelled in that strange movement from a rev of a Harley engine into that angel wing flutter. LJ appears with. Now his axe is this brilliant, holy whip that is swinging around the bike like a glorious blue chain of energy and throwing all of his smite move into that one attack just whirlwinds over and over into pestilence. Kick some ass. You got it. Where's my dice? <laughs> Go back to where you came from, evil thing. Yeah, that should probably do it. That's ten plus my tough. Ooh. All right. Yes. So in this moment, the LJ's axe, Lori's whip, the flames from uh, Luna, the the whipping of Lori's wings, all come together in a great collision against the horsemen of the apocalypse, Pestilence. And then, LJ, you are somewhere else. You're in a space that isn't real, and there are no features. But here in this space, you are facing off against Lori. You and Lori face one another. And Lori's whip is is out, wrapped around pestilence. Uh, the horse is gone. It's just the rider here writhing in pain and fury. And Lori says to you, Father and child of self, I shall take this beast now, but I shan't be able to aid you again, not soon, for I shall keep him. And then the vision is sort of the, the darkness of this space begins to slowly shift into something recognizable. The convocation 
of <laughs> angels. Return and do what must be done, says Lori of the angels. And LJ is back in Macon, Luna skidding along the ground as somehow LJ manages to retain uh, his feet, but the bike goes skidding off into the side of the road and he's running forward toward the upturned van. And we leave that scene and we return to the house, to the library, to those who have gathered here to see our heroes, our searchers, our hunters off onto another adventure into the book world. Through the windows, occasionally sweeps a light. Haven, we need a spell from you, I believe, to continue onward. All right. I'm just rolling. Use magic here. Indeed. Let's see how it goes. Oh, my God. <laughs> you got your back, Haven. Can I use a luck point and roll that you again? You can to make it an automatic <laughs> automatic 12, uh, but it does cost you a luck point. Wait, I get an experience point. I rolled a three. Yeah. <laughs> the, so, if you use the luck, you won't yeah. get the experience point. Okay. Yeah. It acts as if it. Oh, I see. I, I think I'll still use the luck point because I. That, okay. it seems like I don't want to go through the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As the light sweeps around, though, uh, Haven, you realize that as it illuminates the room, a number of books glow on the bookshelves. And in your third eye vision, Haven, you can see the people who are trapped within them. Oh. Matching people to what book they're in? Yes. Awesome. Interesting. That's cool. This is happening even as your spell is going off, but you realize that in the future, you might be able to choose who you go searching for. And in this case, it is one Arthur Love, father of Hotspur, the Navy lieutenant, and the book that flies off the shelf as Dr. Grace, LJ, and once more, Nathan Winters vanish into whatever waits for them. The book that comes falling from the shelf. It's hard to see in the shadows, but it looks like a, it looks like a, some sort of adaptation. And it's by someone called Dean Allen Foster. And Sojourners, this is a little hint, perhaps. That on a podcast, no one can see you scream. Bum, this bottom, bottom, is bottom, the The Gothic Podcast is an actual play audio drama produced by C. Patrick Nagel, starring C. Patrick Nagel, Sharon Gallery Lafournaise, Jesse Baldwin, and Richard Southard. Theme music is by Zoe Hovland, with cover artwork by Jared George Art. Look us up by name on all the social medias or email us at thegothicpodcast at gmail.com. Support for The Gothic Podcast comes from you, our listeners. So please rate, review, and share. And check out our Patreon page, too. Thanks. What sort of creature is it? <laughs> what is this? What is this Cecilia Chadwell? Who is she? <laughs> 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 <laughs>